0: all right well as mike was saying we're kicking off a new series today called big city big question and we've been doing it for about three years now and uh the first question this week and i honestly i feel like this is the hardest one uh, but I think they're all really hard, and that's the point of this uh, series, is that the people in our city are asking very difficult questions, and so uh, as the church, we can't shy away from those difficult questions, and so um, what, we're, what we're doing in this series is we're walking through kind of aggregating um, uh, uh, information from a man on the street video that we uh, we uh, put together that we'll be viewing, doing a screening on November 21st. We'll give you more information about that in, in a little bit, uh, and so we took that information, and we created questions that came out of the video and so the question for this week is if God is real then why wouldn't he do more miracles or why wouldn't he do a miracle for me right and so that's a hard one because it's not just saying God would you do a magic trick for me I think the heart behind this is that I've had people in my life I've had situations in my life where it required drastic measures and I prayed and prayed or I was thinking God if you're out there you must hear me and at the end of the day things fell through the cancer didn't go away you know, the bills came in, uh, the miracle didn't happen. And so I, I think that's the heart behind this this question here. So we're going to slowly walk through that. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a true bonafide, like beyond the shadow of a doubt miracle. Survey, anybody? Okay, a few of you guys, right? Um, I've shared this story before, but briefly, my wife and I, um, back in 2012, we, have th- we had three children at that time. Uh, I don't know what came over us, we were like, let's go for four, right? And so we have three boys, and we decided to see if we can go for a girl. And, um, and so we tried for about a year. Now, uh, you have to know our history. Like, all I need to do is look at my wife, and she gets pregnant. It was that easy. And so f- for us to not get pregnant within a year was, we, we knew something was going on, something was wrong. And so um, eventually she went and she got checked, and um, so she was diagnosed with uh, endometriosis stage four which is a disease of the uterus, Uh, and then everything else is affected by that. And so everything in her uterus collapsed. It's all mushy. saw the pictures. Oh, uh, and her fallopian tubes were, I know, I know, uh, completely uh, collapsed. And uh, I looked at the picture when the doctor gave it to me, and she allowed me to break the news to Linda. Uh, I understood for the first time when the Bible said that, you know, and Rebecca was barren, or Hannah was barren, or Right. Uh, and uh, I looked at this, and I says, wow, I mean, my wife is barren, like, and it just didn't sit right with me, so I broke the news to Linda, and she was like, I said, hey, Linda, you know, doctor says that we can't have any more children, and so if you know anything about endometriosis, I think I have a, a description up here. It says women with stage one or two endo, endo, endometriosis have approximately two percent chance for conceiving in any menstrual cycle. Um, guys, if you don't know what that is, it's the monthly... Multi- Event that happens every month, uh, that chance is less than 1% for women with stage three or four. Okay. So less than 1% chance of us uh, conceiving. And so I turned to Linda and I was literally with tears in my eyes. I said, That means we can't have a baby. She looked over at me and she said, Okay. Three, I got three, I'm good, right? And so, um, but we were walking through that and uh, it was, um, um, I was at an event and I felt the Lord say to me, man, you written me off. Like you didn't even think that I could do a miracle. And so it was in that event, I was actually uh, uh, speaking at a a young adults event for about two or 300 young adults. And then in the midst of the, the worship time, I felt the Lord say to me that you have to ask me for a child. And I was arguing in my heart, because I was like, I don't even we don't even really want a child. <laughs> Why would I ask for one? And then it became this, like, you need to ask. You need to, you need to ask for a miracle. And it dawned on me that up until that point, I had never asked for a miracle for, for myself, for, for our family. And so I was crying and weeping and writing all this stuff down. And, and so I came back and I told Linda, and I said, we need to ask for this child. Like, we need to pray for this child. And so, um, so we did. And it, I'll be honest with you, it was kind of half-hearted at first. It was kind of like I would wake up every morning, and I'd kind of roll over and then put my right arm on her stomach and says, Lord, give us a baby. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, it felt like that, right? And so we began doing that, and then we began inviting other people into the story of, hey, you know, we feel like God is saying we need to ask for a baby. And so... Um, uh uh, we made a move to toronto uh uh, in january 2013 uh and then met mike and missy and then they began praying with us consistently and uh, so long story short we had a trip back to the states i needed to go to didn't have oh hip yet so i needed to go get my hip checked out and so um, Linda had, you know, been late in her cycle, but it was not abnormal for her to, to be late in her cycle. And so I was the one who had the doctor's appointment. So I went in and then we were just kind of joking. And, uh, you know, she said, hey, I've been, you know, I've been late. And so uh, the doctor says, hey, well, you know, why don't you, you know, pee in this cup and we'll see what's going on, right? And so she does that. And uh, the nurse comes back later and everybody in the, the hospital or the, the clinic knows our story. Um, and so they've seen the charts and all that stuff. And so the nurse says, hey, you need to come over here you need to come over here and so we walk over to the nurse and she gives this piece of paper and it's got two stripes in it and i'm like what is that <laughs> like what is this and she says you're pregnant and then Lynn and i both look at each other and i'm like i yeah we're both like in tears and she, uh, I said, you know what this means? Or she says to me, you know what this means? You know what this means? And we had made a correlation between our prayer for um, the baby and the prayer for the birth of this church. And she looked at me. She says, does this mean God's going God's to do a miracle in Toronto? And I looked at her. I said, stop spiritualizing this. Like, we're <laughs> going to have a baby, right? And um, so we uh, texted the strip to the doctor that diagnosed her who uh, wasn 't particularly religious, and she responded back, she said only God could do that and so um, yeah, I know in our life i would i would I would attribute that to an Ameri- to a miracle you know, so i don 't know if you saw John a but he 's our little miracle baby over here. He did the somersault during the uh, worship time. Um, I would consider him a miracle, but I mean, why would God do that for us and not for the thousands and hundreds of thousands maybe millions of couples who are infertile and they're praying and so that's part of the question that we're asking today and so before we jump into that i know that uh always in a setting like this that there's always those of us even if you're a believer that you're always quite a little bit skeptical of miracles and i'd have to say that i put myself in that camp as well Uh, i was an engineer for nine years so i tend to be a bit more kind of like you know skeptically bent and so I know for a lot of us, you know, we ask the question, what about miracles in science? Like, I mean, does miracles, like, does it gel with science? And um, really, our modern understanding of miracles comes from a Scottish philosopher named David Hume. And if you study philosophy, you've come across Hume a couple of times. But this is what Hume says um, a miracle is defined by. And this is back in the 18th century. He says a miracle is a transgression of the law of nature by a particular volition, like the will, the act of the deity, or by the interposition of some invisible agent. So what he's saying is that a miracle happens when the laws of nature are interfered with by some external agent like God, demons, spiritual forces, you know, energy, whatever it is. Uh, So many have argued that miracles aren't possible because of two things. One, because our universe is enclosed, so you couldn't have an external force um, influence it. And then secondly, they also say that um, the laws of nature can't be broken. that's why they're laws and so because of these two things miracles are are, are not uh, are not possible right so let me give you an illustration so um, i worked real hard on this project yesterday don't laugh at it um this is my pottery project here uh <laughs> those are not real daisies um and so in a sense it's kind of like this ecosystem that i created right Uh, And so what Hume is saying is that or what what most uh, skeptics are saying is that the universe is like this ecosystem and if you can't really tell but I've got a piece of saran wrap right on top of it and so it's enclosed there's nothing that can go inside of here right so as an external agent I can't act on this because it's an enclosed system. Uh, And besides, everything that happens in their creation, um, death, uh, destruction, expansion, everything in the universe was the cause of an original event that continues to create other events, but all of those events follow laws. They can't be broken, right? And so if you studied uh, Newtonian physics, you understand that, you know, the laws of nature, they can't be bent, right? And so that's, that's the argument. And so because of that, you really can't have a miracle. There's no way to create a miracle by the definition that David Hume gives. You guys tracking with me, right? And so this is, uh, this is what most people would argue. And so um, um, by definition, miracles can't happen. Uh, but it's interesting because there's another philosopher named uh, Alvin Plantinga, who, um, who argues that, you know, that idea and understanding of miracles is based on uh, an, an old understanding of science. As a matter of fact, David Hume, when he wrote that back in the 18th century, this is way before quantum physics. And so, um, Plantinga points out two things, and I'll be done after, all the philosophy will be done after this, but he points out two very important things. Um, number one is this he says that science doesn't tell us that the universe is closed. Because you can't, you don't have a scientific method that could help establish um, that statement that the universe is closed because the scientific method requires observability and measurability. And because you can't observe or measure or repeat the idea that the universe is closed, you can't use science to make that point. And then secondly, he says this, and this is where I nerd out. I got a C plus in physics in college, but it still intrigues me. Um, he says that the advent of quantum physics, was, which was at the earlier end of the 20th century, he says that our understanding of quantum physics reverses our understanding of classical physics, which is Newtonian physics. And he says this, that there is really no guarantee that uh, any particular event would, uh, is predictable or could happen. He says, at the quantum level of photons and atoms, that you don't have guaranteed events or predictability. You only have probability, okay? And so the predictability of me punching my hand and actually hitting it is not a guaranteed event at the quantum level, All right? The photons, the atoms move in a probabilistic way, And so he uses this for an example. He says that you know, from classical physics, when the foot steps on top of the water, the foot primarily always goes through the water, right? He says, but that is not a guaranteed result. Quantum physics tells us that that's a probabilistic result. He says, but there is the probability that a foot could step on top of water, and the photons of the atoms would decide not to go through the water. He says, and that's uh, that's highly, highly improbable, but according to quantum physics, it's not an impossibility. So he makes the point that if the universe isn't closed, and if events like a man walking on water is improbable but not impossible, then our understanding of miracles is completely uh, 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 reconcilable with our modern science, right? As a matter of fact, he says that if, if our universe isn't closed and probabilistic things like, you know, uh, the potential of photons and atoms allowing the feet to step on top of water, if those things can happen and do happen, and science doesn't limit our understanding of miracles, then what does? What does limit our understanding of miracles? And so what we're going to talk about today really is how this lid really is taken on Okay, come on, Saran wrap. All right. And how really the universe is not enclosed in the way that you know we've been led to think. And that there is an external agent, God, other things that can create things that happen in the universe that have a very real effect. We're going to ask two smaller questions that kind of, are, that kind of get at the larger question that we're asking today. The first question is this, why do miracles happen? And the second is, why don't miracles happen? All right. And we'll find clues in the text from today. Yeah. So the first thing that you notice from uh, John chapter 11 is uh, Martha's skepticism, right? And they get to the tomb, and uh, Jesus is getting ready to do something, and she, she's actually skeptical. She actually says, Lord, Lazarus has been dead for 10 days or for four days. He's probably beginning to rot. You can The odor is already developing, right? And so she's actually preventing Jesus from actually doing something, you know, uh, miraculous. There's a bit of skepticism. And, and, you know, David Hume, the guy I mentioned earlier, he actually says that only ignorant and barbaric nations would believe in miracles, right? But you see here that, no, Martha, she's not ignorant or barbaric. She's like you and I. Like, you you can't possibly raise him from the dead. This is essentially what Martha is responding with. And so she actually... um, wants to prohibit jesus from doing that most of us in modern days we think "Oh, the people in the bible they're so gullible like they would believe anything no martha martha martha's not going to believe just anything right she's she actually leads out in her skepticism and so but the the important thing about the story today is not so much that martha has doubt but jesus is actually drawing attention to something more important than martha's doubt He's drawing attention to, and you gotta keep this in mind as we go through the rest of the sermon, he's drawing attention to the idea of death and our human acceptance of death. He wants to make a point. You guys have easily, easily accepted death way too much. Let me explain. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were all really close friends with Jesus. Um, They actually, these were some of Jesus' closest friends. They know that Jesus did uh, miracles. They knew that he was a healer. And so when Lazarus became sick, they immediately sent for him. And so, um, but instead of coming quickly, you know, this is a close friend. They would think Jesus would come quickly and try to do something. Instead of coming right away, uh, Jesus waited. He actually didn't just wait until things were convenient. He waited until Lazarus was dead. And, but this wasn't an easy decision for Jesus, because as you see, later when he actually comes, comes to Bethany and sees Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that John describes him as actually being filled with sorrow, filled with compassion. In the shortest Bible verse in the Bible, in John 11, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 50, 35, it actually says that Jesus wept. This wasn't easy for Jesus. Why why didn't he rescue Lazarus? We don't know. Why did he wait until Lazarus died? We're going to see. But it was not an easy thing for Jesus to be around the death of his friend. Uh, And I want to throw this out there for you guys. But uh, one of the points that Jesus is making is that death is the greatest evidence that something is wrong in the world. Death is the greatest evidence that something is wrong in the world. Um, But the problem is that we've become so adapted to death Death is so normal, even to the point where sometimes at eulogies, we say death is beautiful. It it has such a final state in our hearts. uh, Martha knew that she could ask for a miracle while Lazarus was sick. But as soon as Lazarus was dead, the, the asking for the miracle just died with Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. I can ask for a miracle. Now that he's dead, it's done. And there's something about death that Jesus is trying to make a point. I think he's saying that, you know, you guys know there's something wrong in the world, but you're you're just, you're giving in to death. You're allowing death to win. You're allowing death to 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 be final. And so I remember, um, you know, when Lynn and I were kind of, you know, working through, you know, we need a miracle, we need a miracle, like we pray for a miracle. And, and I remember the pain of having to, like, realize that, you know, there is a potential that we can never have a child anymore. And so Martha, she lost that desperateness at the death of Lazarus. You know, before she was desperate to get her brother healed. And I think for some of us, to kind of bring that down to us, for some of us, for some of you, There have been situations in your life where you asked and 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 you you thought it was hopeful and you thought it was going to happen and it wasn't going to happen, but you persevered and you, you're waiting for more and more and you were thinking, okay, maybe the next thing, maybe the next thing. And maybe if I ask other people to pray and you're praying, you're praying and all of a sudden you get a closed door, that person dies, your marriage ends, your job doesn't, doesn't work out and there's death and you just have this, you accept death. You accept the finality of the situation. We're like Marthas. Like we just choose to make peace with death. But I love John 11 verse, uh, 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 what verse is it? 38, sorry. Do we have that up here? Let's read that slowly together. Then Jesus, deeply moved, Again came to the tomb. Inside of death, in the sight of a, of a stone that was rolled over the tomb, and we know that our dreams are dead in the tomb, and our brother is dead in the tomb, and our relationship and our marriage and our career is dead in the tomb, this verse says, number one, then Jesus. Number two, he's deeply moved. Number three, he comes to our tombs. He comes to the places where there is death. In the times when you've counted hope um, out, and you've counted God out, those are the moments in which Jesus invites himself into your life. That's what he does with Martha and Mary. They thought the tomb was final, and he wanted to turn things around. And Jesus is moved by the effect of death and the effect that it has on us. He knows that death should not be the norm. Death should not be the norm. It shouldn't feel so final. And so before Jesus actually launches Lazarus's comeback, he prays a very simple prayer, uh, starting with verse 41. And he says this, uh, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And there are three things from Jesus' prayer that I think are really important to, to note. Number one is that from his prayer, you see that the source of power to overcome death is actually intimacy with God the Father. And he's having this intimate, he's like, I know, like we've always, right? He's having this intimate conversation with God the Father. And secondly is this, that there's a confidence in knowing that God always hears you, that Jesus says, you always hear me, Father, all right? And then thirdly is this is that Jesus comes from a place he says that you know so that the people would know that you sent me. He's saying that I come from a place from a place from God where there is no death. And so when it says Jesus is getting ready to pray this where he's praying this prayer over uh, the situation because he knows in his heart that he's got the confidence of his father's support and he's getting ready to do something really big and something really important. If you understand Jesus' prayer, what he's actually saying is this, that, God, I know that there is a disconnect between this situation in front of me and what you want to happen in the kingdom of God. There's a disconnect with what's happening in front of us right now, the broken people in front of us, your addictions, your lost opportunities. There's a disconnect between that and the picture that God really has for us in the kingdom of God. And so his prayer is to unite those two things. So let me, let me, let me answer the question, why did Jesus do miracles? Why did Jesus do miracles? It's because what he wanted to do is he wanted to take the picture that's perfect in the kingdom of God. And he wanted to show glimpses into our current reality. A miracle is whenever you see the kingdom of God breaking through. It's really that simple. It's the idea that the kingdom of God is actually breaking through. It's not a future idea as much as it is. It's, it's making its way into our situation. The kingdom of God is not about death. It's about life. The kingdom of God is not about evil. It's about justice. And so every act that Jesus does is ushering glimpses of the kingdom of God into our universe. So I wrote here that miracles are intentional glitches in the universe that show the future of the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus called out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. What he was actually doing is a piece of the kingdom of God actually came into the world, and it turned death back into life. This wasn't a magic trick. Jesus was giving evidence that there is another world. So miracles are like seeds from the kingdom of God, and let me... um, I couldn't find seeds, so don't judge me. I've got some leftover walnuts from uh, uh, <laughs> some baking project that we had. But pretend this is a seed, right? So miracles are like it's, like, it's like seeds, okay, that God's planting into our universe to remind the universe that there's more than just what you see here. He doesn't redo the whole garden. That's going to come later. That'll come later. That's what theologians call the consummation of all things. But he plants seeds to, to, to show people that there's another kingdom. You notice that when I planted the seed, it came from outside, right? It was external, right? And so miracles are uh, really uh, a way in which God is showing people that another world exists. Why does he do miracles? Is it to make you happy? Yes, it is. Is it to, uh, to overcome situations? Yes, it is. Is it to um, you know, create belief? Yes, it is. But ultimately, every time you see a miracle in the Bible that Jesus does, and I would argue also in your personal lives, that Jesus is doing that to show us that, hey, there's a disconnect between this world and the world that I, that I came from. And I wanna remind you, now I'm, I'm making a mess. I want, I want to remind you that there's something better that you can hope in. Miracles are the seed of the kingdom of God coming to us, right? Um, so I, I didn't know if I should share this story, but I've got a little bit of time and I will. Um, so why does Jesus show us these miracles? Because he's actually showing you the stuff that you're made of. Jesus actually says at some point that, uh, you know, that you will do even greater things than I do, Right? Which kind of confounds my thinking, but in a sense, does he mean that I, I, I could, I could raise the dead too? <laughs> Anybody ever tried to raise the dead before? Two of you, wow, okay, um, interesting. We uh, we should talk. Okay, I tried. All right. Now, you know, truth be told, there wasn't a medical uh, person there to, to tell us whether or not the person was dead or not. But I was at a meeting, um, I'll make it short. I was at a meeting and a guy, he went into a cardiac arrest. And so, I mean, he was in a wheelchair and the sucker started spinning around. So we thought something was weird that was going on. So we go over to the guy and he's not breathing. White as a sheet, foam coming out of his mouth, do the thing, nothing's happening. Right. And so me and the lady's freaking out. Uh, and so we call the ambulance and he's out for probably three minutes, right? Which I know that at least if he's not getting oxygen then that's going to affect his brain. And so, um, so he said, and I'm freaking out. Like, I'm like, I'm supposed to be like, you know, the religious guy. So what do I do, right? And uh, so I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what to do. And the person I'm meeting with is not uh, uh, religious. And uh, this is not in a church or anything like that. You know, if we were doing this in a church, I would be like, hey, guys, come on, let's all lay. We put hands on this guy. But it wasn't that situation, right? And so it was me and a couple of people. And, and later I found out his name is Malcolm. And so I'm like, man, God, if he dies, like, he's going to die. But, like, i got to give this a try, right? And so I put my hands on his chest, no heartbeat. And I'm, like, I'm trembling, right? And so I just say, in Jesus' name, I command life back into your body. And I really don't know what else to pray. Because I have prayed for sick people before. And I have prayed for people with needs. But I've never prayed for a dead person before, right? And again, you know, I... He could have been completely alive i don't know but i kid you not the moment that i prayed that prayer he coughed twice then opened his eyes i was like this stuff works (laughs) it's so i mean you you can make whatever you want to make of it like and i'm not walking around saying i've raised the dead all right but uh at least there, there was something in there where i began to claim I began to claim the very things that Jesus came to give me. Jesus shows miracles because miracles show the stuff that you're made of. And you can walk around in the dignity that Jesus did when you walk in your identity in Christ and do the things that he's done. There's actually a guy, uh, again, I don't know how legit this guy is. I've done some research on him. He comes from a legit like background. His name is Tyler Johnson. I won't give you more than that, but he has um, a ministry where they raise the dead. Now they're not; I mean, their statistics are pretty low, but they've been able to to raise the dead. And so, again, I understand. I was an engineer too. It sounds crazy, right? Um, but if Jesus did the things that He did, and we're not restricted by science or anything else, then why not? Why couldn't you do those things, right? All right, Secondly, is why don't miracles happen, all right? Going back to my original story, if Johnny Abe is a miracle, why do we get it and not other people? Uh, why are there still people asking God, would you make me fertile? And God hasn't given it to them. Um, you know, the, the kind of cold and non-pastoral answer would be, well, because by definition, miracles are infrequent, and if God gave them to everybody, then there wouldn't be miracles anymore. But that really doesn't address, like, the hard issues of why people are asking, why? Why didn't I get the miracle, right? Because the one who's asking is probably coming from a genuine place, probably a place of suffering. Why didn't God heal the cancer? Why didn't the car keep from crashing and killing my dad, right? Questions that I've actually heard people ask, okay? And so um, the first thing I want to point out is this, that miracles actually don't equal faith, okay? And so oftentimes people think that if God gives the miracle, it would increase my faith. And that, that sounds right uh, from the outset, but really when you actually dig deeper into it, miracles don't necessarily equate to faith. As a matter of fact, when somebody, a miracle is an event. If somebody places their faith in an event, that's a misplaced faith. Does that make sense? Right. So miracles are pointers. They actually point to the person who did the miracle. And so if a miracle brings you to a place where you believe in the person who did the miracle, then that would be what the Bible calls a saving faith. But if, you're, if you're, your faith is placed in an event that happened, then that's a misplaced faith. And that's why I say that miracles don't always equal faith. So as a matter of fact, now sometimes people would actually witness a miracle and I've seen this too, Well, they've witnessed a miracle, and all it did was it made their heart even harder, right? And so they're trying to figure out the whole time, uh, no, like, let me tell you, that wasn't a medical, I mean, I I can give you a medical explanation. As a matter of fact, I was reading this atheist blog who accepts miracles, but he says, but at the end of the day, I know there are things that even science can't explain, but I still can't conceive that God did those things, right? So there's a sense, right? You see in the Bible, Uh, Pharaoh uh, was hardened because of the miracles that, that God did, right? And so um, in Jesus' life, he saw this with the scribes and the Pharisees. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 39, it uh, says that some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them: An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Why did Jesus say those things? Well, what he's actually saying is that. the mere fact that you're asking for a sign in order to believe reveals the stubbornness in your heart. You think that you can only be satisfied by a miracle, but God knows you will only be satisfied by belief. You're forcing God to do something that you yourself wouldn't do for yourself, right? And so uh, Jesus is making a point about our hearts, that even if he gave us the greatest miracles, there's no guarantee that it's going to create faith inside of you. And so I think what Jesus is saying in this passage to the Pharisees is, you want to see a miracle? First of all, repent. Make your heart soft to God and be open to what I'm going to do. Right. So um, <clears throat> let me give you five non-reasons for why miracles don't happen. Does that make sense? Five. Five. Non reasons, these are not the reasons why miracles don't happen. All right. Um, and this is based out of the passage that we looked at in John 11 uh, uh, in, in the verses before. Number one, uh, uh, a reason, one of the reasons why, one of the non reasons why God doesn't do miracles is not because it's impossible. And we talked about that before, it is possible. It's possible to do things that don't violate silence. God can do those things. It's possible to do things that, you know, that human ingenuity couldn't come up with. But it's not that it's impossible that God didn't give the miracle, okay? Number two is this. It's not because God doesn't have compassion. As a matter of fact, through Jesus, you see that Jesus was very compassionate about the situation, right? And so oftentimes, and I know this is harder for ladies, uh, you know, I use infertility because that's our example. But I know for 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 ladies that when it comes to issues of your body, that it's very difficult for you to understand if if God is good or God really is treating you the right way, right? And so I mean, I'm you know I'm bald. That's probably my closest like you know example to God. Are you good? Because why would you make me bald? Like, um, uh, but I mean, understand that, right? And so realize this that it's not because God's not good and God's not compassionate toward your situation. Number three is that uh, it's not because there wasn't enough faith. Oftentimes we ask for something and we know, we claim it and we say, God, it's going to happen in your name, Jesus, and it still doesn't happen. And oftentimes it's not because you didn't have enough faith, right? As a matter of fact, Martha knew to ask Jesus to come when Lazarus was sick because she just assumed her friend, the healer, the miracle worker could do this, right? Uh, number four is not because it's wrong to ask. And this is where I want to coach us a little bit because I think most of us, we're kind of like we're afraid to write a check that it's going to bounce, right? And so you don't ask God for the big things. And so let me give you permission that you can ask God for big, gigantic, ginormous things, right? You're allowed to do that in your faith uh, as a Christian uh as a matter of fact some people feel like you know i don't want to become a christian because i don't want to feel restricted in what i could experience or do and the reality is that no you have far much more freedom as a christian than you do uh, uh by not following christ and so it's not because you're not allowed to ask you know god says ask me for anything in my name right uh, number five is this and it's also not because it's never going to happen and so sometimes god doesn't give the miracle but it's not because it's not going to happen all right there could be some other reasons those are the five non-reasons for why miracles don't happen. But let me also provide six possible reasons, and I'm going to run right through them, six possible reasons for why miracles don't happen, in particular your miracle, the one that you've been praying for, the one that you've been asking for. Number one is this, because uh, and this is really not a, a reason as much as an explanation, but it's because sometimes we think we need a miracle when we don't. Sometimes we think we need a miracle when the reality is that, no, no, you no, you, 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 can persevere. You can get by. Um, part of this is we misunderstand the purpose of miracles, right? And I see this when people are praying for other people who are, are still uh, not believers. And they say, oh, God, if you would just give them a miracle or a sign, which I believe he does, he can do. And that's not wrong to ask for that. But some of the possible reasons that God doesn't give it sometimes is it doesn't require a miracle in this situation, right? Secondly is this, um, the reliance on a particular miracle could cause our heart to wander away from God. And I've seen this over and over and over again, at least those of us who have grown up in very religious traditions, is they always go after the sign. They always go after the miracle. They always go after the healing. They love the fireworks. They love all that stuff. And they forget that at the end of the day, the miracles actually just point to the person. And you have direct access to the person, so you really don't need the miracles. The miracles are kind of just like awesome, but they're not like as awesome as the person that the miracles are pointing to. So miracles have the possibility of actually drawing our attention away from God himself. And so I think sometimes in God's like wisdom, he says, if I gave it to you, it'd be kind of like me giving my son my credit card. I would never see him again, you know? So I don't know. But uh, number three is this increased faith in God might come from not receiving the miracle rather than receiving it. Think about that one. Like your increase in faith might actually come from not receiving the miracle rather than if God actually did something to, to increase your faith. Let me give you the word for this one. Perseverance, endurance. I think there are times in the Bible has a lot of support for this that God feels like endurance and, and perseverance is much more important to your character development than you being awed by, you know, water being turned into wine. He'll do those things but oftentimes, character comes from perseverance. Right. Uh, number four is this: uh, miracles aren't asked in faith, but by some other motive. Okay, and so this is what you saw with the scribes and the Pharisees: if you are who you say you are, do this. And God is saying, "Yeah, excuse me, like, <laughs> you, we're not having this conversation. Like, I'm God. Like, I don't. I mean, if I wanted to, but like, you know what? I, I." Not that God would say this, but, you know, I don't, I don't like your attitude right now, so I'm just not going to deal with you, right? Sometimes we ask with the wrong motives, and God's like, you know, it's, if I gave it to you, I, I would give in to wrong motives. Why? So God is full of grace, but there are times when in his wisdom, he knows that it's not going to make you believe. It'll just make your heart harder, right? And number five is this, and I want you to hear this one, because the miracle is still yet to come. God, why haven't you given it yet? It's coming. It's coming. And for those, of you, I know some of you guys are already, some of you guys are just pessimistic by nature. You're just skeptic by nature. But to a lot of our requests, God is actually saying, it's coming. It's coming, and it's actually going to be better. That's the fifth one, the sixth one is that there's something better than the miracle to come. Um, you know, we were talking about sowing seeds, and let me see if I can get this without. Uh, we're talking about sowing seeds, and the reality is that there are times when God gives us the miracles, and we should thank Him for it. He sows a seed, and but there are times when He hasn't sown the seed of a miracle because He's actually doing something better. He's actually planting something better than just a temporary event that's going to wow you. And the Bible is very clear that there are times when God allows us to suffer. There are times when God allows the injustice to happen, and there's no intervention, and there's no interjection on his part, and in his mind, there's wisdom in that, because the Bible says it's very clear, and I don't know how the correlation happens, but he says there are times when God is actually, he's actually burying treasure for us, that In God's wisdom, he's saying persevere because this is not about you seeing a miracle in this ecosystem. This is about you receiving a reward or a crown at the end of the day. There are times when we don't get the miracle. And for those of us who struggle with like the physical ailments and stuff like that, and you're not... I'm not saying that God wants that or desires that, but there is something which God says that in the Bible, he says it's very clear that there are things that will not happen until the day that Jesus comes back. But when he comes back, it'll, those sufferings will come back to you as if they were rewards. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 that actually if you persevere to the point of death, he says you will be given the crown of life. There's, there's coming a miracle that's actually gonna, uh, make all other miracles inconsequential. That it's gonna make all other miracles unnecessary. And so if we understand it from that perspective, then we, we can, we can, number one, be still optimistic where we can ask God for the big things. Ask Him to sow the seeds. But secondly, when we see that he doesn't actually do the miracle, we can be patient enough to understand that, okay, this is about hidden treasure. This is about the perseverance. This is about the reward. Now Trinity Life, we're all about like grace. We're all about like by grace alone, uh, you, you are saved by the death of Jesus' cross. He died, uh, he died on the cross for our sins. It's nothing that you could do to make God love you or hate you uh, in any way. Through Jesus alone, God's anger uh, was lashed out onto Jesus on the cross, that God's love was lavished onto Jesus. That's our message here. But let me help you understand this, that there is something in the Bible where, where God says, persevere, do good works, because you will receive a reward. You, you will receive the crown of life. And so there's something about that that it has to sustain our soul. There's something about that, that you know, that because Jesus has actually overcome death, that we don't have to succumb to death. But when we do succumb to death physically, that there's actually something greater waiting for us. And so the message of Jesus is this, I'm coming, I will restore the ecosystem completely. You've seen the glimpses, but it's going to happen fully one day. I want to uh, end our time as, as the band, you guys make your way up. It's a quote from a pastor uh, uh, that many of you probably know of, Tim Keller. And he writes about uh, the idea of miracles and why did Jesus do them? He says that we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration, the restoration of natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it, but Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has the power, but also the wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming.